Mass shooting at Uvalde Elementary School. I'm Scott Wingeter. Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company. Our hearts and prayers go out to the community in Uvalde, Texas, where a gunman, who I will not use his name, burst into an elementary school this week and murdered 21 people. We here at Impolite Company are very pro-life. And that just doesn't have to do with the abortion issue that we've already discussed. It has to do with what life itself is. It is valuable. We believe that every single human being is created in the image of God and is created by God with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And those things were stolen away from the children and the teachers that were gunned down viciously at Robb Elementary School. (sighs) This is senseless violence. And we try so hard to make sense out of something that is senseless. And we fight over these issues. They're worthy issues to discuss, for sure. There's something that we definitely need to take a look at as a society. But that time will come. Right now, more than anything, we need to be there as a community, as a state, and make sure that the people that witnessed these horrific events are taken care of and get the counseling and help uh, grief responses that they need. That is primary. The debate over gun control or policies and procedures or what sort of laws we need to pass in order to strengthen uh, the security at elementary schools and middle schools and high schools. Uh, The ideas that we have about how to curb mental illness in the country. Those are all worthy topics of discussion. But it's not a conversation that we have to jump into immediately. However, the news cycle and our current culture demands that we do so. I think this is a mistake. I don't believe that we should immediately politicize every single issue. I want to talk about what happened, and then I want to talk about the aftermath, and then I want to cut all of the bullcrap out of this conversation and offer actual solutions. So please stick with me here. 21 people were killed, two teachers, 19 students. This was at Robb Elementary School. Once again, I'm not going to give you the name of the shooter because I don't want his name out there at all. Um, All of these people that were murdered were shot same classroom. So the gunman allegedly entered one classroom and started just gunning people down. Um, The shooter had no criminal background. The shooter had no history of mental illness. The shooter was 18 years old and from all I could tell, Uh, was able to legally possess the AR-15-style weapon 
that he used in the crime. This is coming 10 days after uh, the Buffalo shooting, where 10 people were shot and killed in a racially motivated attack. (sighs) Enter the politicalization of this issue. Uh, Yesterday, Governor Abbott went down to Uvalde to have a press conference about the event. Sitting in the audience was the Democratic candidate for governor of Texas, Beto O'Rourke, or as I like to call him by his real name, Robert Francis O'Rourke. He got up, walked right up to Governor Abbott, pointed his finger at him and said, you aren't doing anything about this. And the mayor of Uvalde, uh, Don McLaughlin, stood up and called Beto O'Rourke a sick son of a bitch, which I think he is. I think that's accurate. Because for him to try to politicize this event is just despicable. It's dishonorable. Um, And he's trying to do this for his own political gain. And that is sick. That is disgusting. There was a person that was in the crowd, in the audience uh, at this event, that started chanting, let him speak, let him speak. One person, I have no proof of this. I cannot prove it at all. But my gut instinct is that that person was a plant by the Auroric campaign to uh, you know, get the crowd on his side and to allow him to speak. And it just fell flat on its face and failed. And if that is true, that's even worse. That's even more despicable. Um, and shame on you, uh, Congressman O'Rourke. Shame on you. Shame. You're disgusting. We are so fast to politicize this issue. And some of it, I think, comes from the right place. It's people that even if I politically disagree with their solutions or their argumentation, I, I think they their heart is in the right place. Uh, a, a good person uh, might be, for example, Senator Murphy of Connecticut. I disagree with Senator Murphy. Uh, but he got up and he started, you know, addressing his colleagues in the Senate. He says, what are we doing? Why do we're doing nothing? We're not allowing uh, you know, we're the body that makes laws and here we have our kids are getting gunned down in schools and we're sitting here and we're doing nothing. Now, I don't think that a federal response is necessary for, for this type of uh, tragedy, but at least I think his heart's in the right place. I don't, I don't know. As much as I can know a man's heart, it seems that way. Um, I'm sick and tired of the comparisons too. And this is where I think that Senator Murphy misses the mark here. He starts comparing the United States to all the other countries in the world. He says that these mass shootings, we're the only country that has mass shootings. We're the only one. Well, first of all, I don't believe that's true. Um, Second of all, any comparison of the United States to a country like the United Kingdom or Australia, or Canada, or New Zealand, you know, the other English-speaking commonwealths that have a lot in common with the United States, or Western democracies, where, uh, you know, 
speak English, we have that same cultural background. Uh, it's not a good comparison. It's comparing apples to oranges. We have in the United States of America the, this idea of negative law, as I've talked about on this program before. Uh, negative law, we negate the federal government from being able to do certain things. Uh, a good example would be the First Amendment. We have the right to freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, uh, the right to assemble, the right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. But what does the First Amendment say? Right off the bat, the first sentence of the First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law. Stop. What's Congress's job? It's to make law. Ah, yes, but Congress shall make no law concerning those five things. The Second Amendment, likewise, is an example of negative law. It says that a well-regulated militia be necessary for the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Shall not be infringed. It's negative law, right? And it's important to understand the differences between uh, the Commonwealth nations uh, that I just spoke about and the United States. The Commonwealth nations don't have negative law. So an act of parliament is an act of parliament. And that's it. That's the top law that there is. If, if parliament passes a law that says, uh, yeah, you don't have freedom of speech, then you as a citizen, or in this case a subject, rather, of those nations, you don't have freedom of speech anymore. Because Parliament passed a law that says that you don't. Uh, there is no protection from governmental oversight uh, and, and overreach. Um, that's it. That's all you're left with. And it comes down to this fundamental question. We have the unalienable right guaranteed in the Constitution. The Supreme Court has been clear about this, that the Second Amendment in this case, uh, is an individual right that you are allowed to possess a firearm. And let's go into the reasoning behind that very quickly. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right? I have an undeniable, unalienable right to life to liberty, to safety and security and happiness. And the mere, just the mere fact that I'm a human being created in the image of God, I possess that right. So does it not logically follow that I would also have a right to defend those things if they were attacked? That is a huge portion of of what the Second Amendment is all about. So we have the right to defend ourselves. So how do we go about doing that? Um, the Attorney General, who Ken Paxton, who just won his uh, primary race over George P. Bush, said this. He said, we can't stop bad people from doing bad things. We can potentially arm and prepare and train teachers and other administrators to respond quickly. That, in my opinion, is the best answer. 
I agree with the Attorney General there. I absolutely, as a former teacher and a veteran, I would have no problem having a gun in my classroom, locked in a safe, that kids can't get a hold of, that it would be bolted down to, you know, the, the furniture or the, or the wall or something like that. I can get access to, in the event of an active shooter, pull that gun, and I would blast any person that came in there and tried to hide, hurt or harm one of my kids. Absolutely, without question, without batting an eye. And I'd even get good sleep the next night over it. I wouldn't care. Because if you want to come in and try to murder somebody else, you forfeit that natural right to life. Because you're trying to take my life, my kids' lives. That's unacceptable. Texas passed a law back in 2019 that allows for school districts to do this, to arm teachers, to give them training and to arm them. Uh, and he, the law basically allows school districts, uh, you know, at their own discretion, how many teachers they want to do. That. I think that that is a very good law. I think it needs to be strengthened, though. What I would like to see is this. We have got to make sure that schools are no longer soft targets. When you go back and you look at the history behind all of these mass shootings that have happened in the United States, going all the way back to Columbine High School in Colorado in the 1990s, every one of these mass shootings, whether it was Columbine, whether it was the um, movie theater uh, in you know 2008, oh, I'm sorry, 2012, I think it was, uh, whether it was Virginia Tech in the early 2000s, it's all of these mass shootings are always at sor- soft targets, right? Places where the gunman can reasonably expect to not have really anybody be able to stop him. How come gunmen aren't, you know, just doing mass shootings at like, you know, um, the uh, police department? How come? Gunmen don't just march into the police department and just start blasting cops. It should be obvious, right? Because the gunman knows that if he walks into the police department carrying an AR-15, he's not going to make it through the door before being blasted by a dozen police officers, all who are carrying guns. So they don't do that. Because they're not that dumb. If you hide teachers amongst the school that are armed, that are trained, that you can even give them law enforcement training. I would even go as far as to giving them law enforcement status uh, so that you get all of the legal protections that law enforcement officers have. You, you, you give them those protections so that if they do have to unfortunately pull that gun and defend their classroom or their school, they're not liable legally for anything that happens, just like a police officer would be. Uh, You get them the same training, uh, combat training and and shooting training that police officers get. Uh, You make them do it on a yearly basis. You obviously would have to vet the teachers, make sure that they didn't have any psychological, uh, you know, history, uh, the same way that you would a police officer. But there are plenty of teachers out there, teachers just like me. I could be the poster child of this, of what I'm talking about here. You know, 
I'm an Air Force veteran. I grew up shooting. I've been shooting since I was six years old. I know how to handle a gun. I know how to do gun safety. I know what to do in these situations. I've had training. I would get more training, gladly, if it meant saving the lives of these kids in these schools against a crazy gunman who we don't even know what the motivation of this shooting was for. That would stop these uh, mass shootings from happening. That's what I would like to see. We need to stop arguing about, you know, whether guns are okay or not. Or, you know, is there a mental health crisis in the country? Well, yeah, of course there's a mental health crisis in the country, and that should be addressed as well. But the most pragmatic thing that we can do as a state, and I would say even as, as a nation, is to get guns in the hands of teachers. Think about it like this. The cops come, right? Well, why do the cops come? Well, because the cops have guns, and they're the, they're the ones that are going to stop this criminal from killing other people, right? So, inevitably, the answer is always, a good guy with a gun is going to stop the bad guy with a gun. That is the nature of the beast. So, why don't we just put the ha- in the hands of a teacher, a good guy, a weapon in order to defend that school, that classroom? I think if you started to do this, the first time a gunman walks into a school and gets blasted by a teacher, that would be the end of this. Our thoughts and prayers go out again to the Uvalde community. I can't imagine the grief that you're going through. I can't imagine the pain, and especially for those kids that were at that school, for the cops that had to go into that room and see the dead bodies of little kids, that has, that's something that's going to stick with those people for the rest of their lives, this tragedy. And uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to you, and our hearts hurt for you. And just know that your fellow Texans are standing with you. Love you. Thank you. As a tribute to the lives that were lost, I'd like to display the names of the people that were killed. Uh, order to honor them. Our hearts and prayers go out to these people and their families, their friends, the people that they left behind. God bless you.